So welcome to Element. You brave the elements. If you're new, <laughs> sorry, it's bad. If you're new uh, and you don't own a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. You can have one. Uh, if you forgot one, you can use one. Thank you, Sean. You're awesome. Don't throw over his head because I'm missing. We like, you know, hit somebody. Yeah, donk. We like. Um, so welcome. Uh, if, there are some notes on the communion tables. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app called Uversion. When you download Uversion, you can click on Live. We just showed somebody how to do it this morning. And click on Live, and it'll bring up all the sermon notes so you don't have to actually grab one. You can actually stare at your phone all morning, act like you're paying attention, and be texting all your buddies. Or not. So again, there were supposed to be baptisms today, and if your name was A to M, you're supposed to bring a dessert. So I hope you still brought those anyway. You can leave all the cookies in the back. That's it's okay. Well, we work with a group in town called Community Partners in Caring, and what they do is they help uh, elderly people in our community who can't get some stuff done. So we partner with them and and help these people who need a little bit of help. So they had a, a banquet a couple weeks ago, which uh, the lady who's in charge of getting the things put together for them with Element went to that, and they gave us a plaque. It's actually sitting in the back, and they called us the Church of the Year <laughs> Element. Which I always think it's odd getting an award for something Jesus calls you to do. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, lastly, before we get going, the financial class that we're doing starting in January, as I told you, it's an outside thing, so it costs 96 bucks. And we told you uh, three weeks ago, start saving 8 bucks a week for it. Right? So this week you should have saved 24 bucks by this week. Is everybody, yeah, no, yeah, okay, hopefully you're doing it. I got to, yay! Way to go. Okay, so I, I've, got a, I've got a friend, and after last week, he says, yeah, when you asked me last, he texted me this after service is over. He says, when you asked last week if we saved eight bucks, my, he goes, look at my wife. My wife said, no, we haven't. And, and, she, and he goes, that's why we need to take the class. He goes, as we sat drinking our Starbucks. <laughs> so you don't, go to, you don't go to Starbucks once for the two people, and then you can actually save your eight bucks. Go to the class. Uh, you can, there's sign-ups in the back now. If you go to our website, you can actually sign up online as well. There's a little ticker up in the, in the corner, and it says, this is, you've got this many weeks till it starts. You should have saved this much money for the class. I'm just letting you know, so it doesn't come like the start of the class. You're like, I can't take the class. I don't have any money. you be like, yeah, because you buy McDonald's and Starbucks. So save your eight bucks a week. Go to the class. You'll need it. Uh, and actually, one, one of the materials for this, they actually state by most people, average people, by the end of the 13-week class, they have been able to pay off $5,000 in debt and save $2,000 into their savings by just putting things into practice that this class goes through. So that's something we all need, especially in the economy which you live in today. Why don't you guys stand with me? You're reading to God's Word. This is John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39. And it says... Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would be a people who understand what it means to have your Spirit flowing in and through us, and that our lives would then reflect who you call us to be, that people would see that true humanity is made to live in a certain way that reflects the greatness and goodness of our Creator, and that we would then interact with creation how you call us to. Uh, God, thank you for being good to us. Amen. Have a seat. So we are doing this series called Made. We're in week seven. Uh, this is going to take us right up to Christmas. So Merry Christmas, apparently. Uh, if you've been here uh, for the last six weeks, you know if this is not my normal preaching style, but it seems to be going okay. People are getting a little bit out of it, which is good. If you are new in the last six weeks, wait till January. 
and then we'll see how things turn a little bit differently. Now, I don't like uh, psychology and messages that are basically all psychology and trying to figure you out. Uh, but a lot of people don't understand who God created them to be, what we're supposed to look like, and uniquely in who God made us to be. So this series, what we're trying to do through it is help you stop second-guessing uh, who God created you to be, stop second-guessing God, maybe lighten my counseling load just a little bit, and I'll be good. And so if you are new or you missed the last few weeks, this is my standard intro. I'm going to give it to you. God made every single one of us unique. He likes that. If there are more than two of you, not just in this church, but on this planet, I don't think I can handle it. Okay? Uh, many religious people try to get rid of this idea that God has created as unique. They think that God's going to make us all look the same and wear the same tennis shoes and the same tinfoil hats and drink the same Kool-Aid. And that, That's not how it works. God enjoys the uniqueness of who we are. He enjoys the individuality. He likes the quirks that makes us us. So we have been looking at how that uniqueness then plays into who we're supposed to become by God's grace. Central to becoming who God calls us to be, you have to understand what true humanity is supposed to be, but also we're supposed to understand ourselves as well. But again, don't misunderstand me. When I say we're helping you to understand you, it's not because you're so great or I'm so great. It's that you and I are terrible and Jesus is the solution. Our culture is all about you and it's just running downhill fast because we are terrible. So our goal is to help you understand how God sees you, who God is, that our eyes must always be upon Christ and ever to properly understand us. So the first week we talked about how to trust God, that he made you who he, who he wanted you to be, that you have the likes and desires you have for a reason, even if you don't understand it sometimes. The second week we talked about spiritual growth, that one size does not fit all. We will all grow in different ways. The third week we talked about how your greatest strengths can also be your greatest weaknesses. The fourth week we talked about how to be truly human, what humanity is supposed to look like. The fifth week we talked about worry and how fear and anxiety can pull us away from the people God creates us to be. The fifth week we talked about, uh, and then last week sorry, we talked about difficult people because we all are difficult people. And then this week we're going to discuss God's spirit, but in a different way. We're going to talk about hearing from God, listening to him, where he calls us, where we live the majority of our lives, which is at work. We're going to talk about work. Honestly, the last time I talked about work to you guys was about a year ago, and I got hate email. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Basically, in the end of it, I said, stop being lazy, get a job, and people were offended. And so let's see if I can top that today. <laughs> it's always my job. So I'll tell you a little story, okay? Uh, once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away, there was a man who loved to work. See, that's why it's in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, he, he loved creating value. He, he loved the way his work made him grow. Now, he didn't always like the problems that came up, but he felt joy when he found a solution at his work that worked. He managed people, and he felt what he, it's what he was born to do. He liked getting to know his coworkers, finding about their families and their lives and their interests. He loved it when a team got inspired about an idea and how to solve that idea. He loved watching people grow to gain new skills and confidence. He enjoyed getting ready for work. And that sometimes in the shower in the morning, he would be like, Focus! Focus! You know, he, just to get himself psyched up. He liked looking ahead to what each day would bring. He enjoyed the feeling at the end of the day when he looked back on what he had accomplished. He was also someone who believed in Jesus. But he never told people at his church about how he enjoyed working because he thought people just wouldn't understand that, that he felt the Spirit of God more alive in him while he was working than he did ever in a church service. 
And it's not that he ever thought about not worshiping God corporately with other believers. It's just he really felt God really alive in him when he was working. He found that he, he, found that he would pray for ideas about wisdom. Uh, he, he would get uh, excited when evaluations would come up and he got evaluated because for him it was a chance to learn and to grow. He loved it when a solution to a problem would just pop into his head. His joy at work made him a better husband, a better father, a better friend, a better volunteer, a better child of God. And his children actually grew up believing that work was a gift from God and they should also work. When he was 65 years old, someone asked if he was going to retire. So he opened his Bible and he looked up the word retire. And lo and behold, it wasn't in there because it's not. And so he kept working. And eventually his work becomes part-time. Then all of his work becomes volunteer, but he continued to work when he was near death. All the people who loved him, all the people he had worked with over the years gathered around his sickbed. They thanked him for how he had enriched their lives by showing him what work could really be. And he thought of all the joy and the purpose that his work had given him over the years uh, and, and how he had connected with his family, still worked, still brought it all together. And he said, I wish I could have worked more. Now, that is not something you normally hear. But some, I think someone once said, I think it was a Christian, and they said, at the end of life, no one wishes they spent more time at work. Well, it's actually not true. And it's not in the Bible because in the Scriptures... Everybody works. Everybody. It is part of who God made us to be as his people. We all work. And it could be in different ways. It could be a mother with a child. It, it could be at a, at a work site. It could be in, a, in an office. It could be a student. And you're, and you're taking classes at school. That's all your work. Most of the heroes that we look at in the Bible had what we would think of as secular vocations. Isaac develops real estate. Jacob is a rancher. Joseph was a government official. He's in charge of agriculture, the economy, immigration policy. He serves a pharaoh in a foreign land that did not honor Israel's God. Joseph did not decide, oh, I could serve God better if I ran off and stopped, you know, and started a, a non-profit faith-based organization and left my well-paying government job. He never thought that. He just worked his job. Moses spent 40 years as a sheep herder. Esther, she wins a beauty contest and goes into government service. David is involved in animal husbandry, the military, and statecraft. Daniel is an immigrant. He attends Babylon's version of Oxford and becomes prime minister. In the New Testament, you've got a lady named Lydia. She's successful in textiles, and she's lifted up as like someone in the Bible you should emulate. You have Luke, who was a doctor. You have Paul, who was a tent maker. But I think the ultimate expression of how God values and loves work is seen in Jesus. God comes in the form of a man, and Jesus is a carpenter. He spends more than three-quarters of his working life in the building profession, probably making benches and, and tables involved in construction. The word we, tra we translate as carpenter is the Greek word tekton, which is where we get our word technology from. Jesus was probably involved in stonemasonry, working on building homes. The Bible is a book. It is written by workers, about workers, for workers. But too often in discussions about spiritual life and what's really spiritual, everything about work gets ignored. You just get warnings like not too much, not too hard, not too long. I was reading a book when I was putting this message together, and this guy was talking about how terrible it is that some pastors call their workspaces offices rather than studies. This is what he says, thereby further secularizing the perceptions of pastoral work. I'm thinking, seriously? Seriously? By this line of thinking, a study is spiritual and an office is not? I know. Most people I know would rather spend their, their time in an office rather than in a study anyway. You know, most adults will spend half of their waking lives at work. Your work is a huge part of your life. So it's a huge part of God's plan for your life and who He wants you to be. He intends for His Spirit to fill you at work, to energize you at work. 
Work gets done in offices, construction sites, all over the place. Building people up, creating teams, taking the resources of creation, putting them into use. And this desperately requires the energy and guidance of God's Spirit. Now, if you have your Bible, open to Exodus chapter 20. Second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. Like I said, if you stole a Gideon Bible, you're not going to have the book. So go get a real one. Grab one in the back. All right. But if you, real Bible, second, second book in the Bible, Exodus chapter 20. Verse 8. This is the fourth commandment, part of the Big Ten. If you're all into college football right now, it's not like the Big Ten in college football. This is God's Big Ten. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. And it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals. I love that. Nor the alien within your gates. Verse 11. For in six days the Lord God, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. This is what we call work. But but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now how many days of a week does, does this, do these verses cover? How many days? Seven covers seven days of the week. It's not just the Sabbath. Now, I have heard sermons designed to make people feel guilty about not keeping the Sabbath. I've never heard one to make people feel guilty about not honoring the six-day work week till today. (laughs) Kidding, kidding. The point is not how many hours a day you work or how much you're punching the clock. The point is that God made and loves the Sabbath, but he also made and loves work. Maybe even six times as much. Maybe. So how do we discover who God calls us to be, who He has made, it to be, made us to be so we can work towards that in our work, who He wants us to become? So I'm going to give you five things this morning. Number one is this. Discover your strengths. Discover your strengths. Now, can you name the first person in the Bible who is said to be filled with the Spirit of God? His first service was totally quiet too. Like, I don't want to answer that. Oh my goodness. Okay, turn to Exodus chapter 31. Okay? This person is not Adam, it's not Noah, it's not uh, Abraham, it's not Joseph or Moses or Elijah or Daniel or Mary or Jesus or Paul or Jonah or the whale. Okay? It's, it's this guy, his name was Bezalel. And you're like, oh yeah, Bezalel. Right, I don't know who that is. In Exodus 31, you meet Bezalel. He is not a priest, he is not a prophet, he is not a king, he is not an apostle. He's a dude. He's just a dude, and he loves to work with his hands. He's a craftsman, skilled in design. He has an eye for color and shape. When it comes time to build the tabernacle, God's temple, Israel's place of worship, this is where they go to this guy. Exodus 31, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, verse 3, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God with skill, ability, knowledge, and all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Now imagine, you're Bezalel, and you're from a little little kid. You're like, oh, I love working with my hands. Oh, this is great and wonderful. I'll never be like one of those priests or one of those prophets. I'll just work with my hands because I enjoy it. You never think that maybe God's involved with this. Maybe God is the one who gave you these things. And all of a sudden, God's like, that's the dude. I gifted him, and I want him to do this. What an amazing thing. You realize that all the things you love to do are there because God has actually placed them within you. When you're working, this joy and power you feel is actually the presence of God's Spirit. Now, Marcus Buckingham is the guy who championed that phrase, discover your strengths, you know, whatever. But it's actually true. It's actually true. I mean, God did not go to Moses and say, Moses, your craftsmanship skills are weak. I want you to stop leading the people and start learning how to build some stuff. He doesn't do that. He says, you get the guy who's good at it and get him to do what he's good at. God plans his community around people who, have, who he's given strengths to. 
things he created them to actually do. So many times we focus so much on trying to improve our weaknesses rather than discovering and naming and developing our strengths. This reflects God's design that we figure out our strengths. The simplest definition of a strength is an activity which when you do it makes you feel strong. There are certain activities, yes, that will challenge you. But sometimes when you discover those challenges, they help you discover your strengths even better. It matters that you figure out your strengths because we are called to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we do this best when we steward the strengths God has given us. You know, God himself, he works with strength and freedom and joy. And when you discover your strengths, you're learning an indispensable part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Now, there are some things that you must find out by spending time with God. You must spend time with Him. God, you know, today in our culture, it seems like everybody thinks God created them to be the next American idol. You know, but that's because their focus is themselves. Their focus is not God. We don't, we don't get to make this cop out that says, well, my strengths aren't scripture reading or spending time with God. You know, that those aren't my strengths. Because when you are seeking God and you are limited, these things will actually become strengths for you. You'll begin to want to do these things. You'll find great thrills there. So you ask yourself, what does God make you feel most alive when you're doing? What are those things? Because that's work and that's what you're made for. Dorothy Sayers writes this. She says, work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is or it should be the full expression of the worker's faculties, the thing in which he finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction and the medium in which he offers himself to God. Discover your strengths. Number two, understand what you receive when you work. Understand what you receive when you work. Researchers show uh, that the moments in our lives where, that we consider the best moments usually do not come from moments of leisure or pleasure. To me, I guess that would mean it doesn't involve like sex or cookies. So somewhere, you know. Have you ever been so caught up in some type of activity that time just seems to warp and fly by? Like, where, where did it all go? Ever happened to you? Yeah, yeah. Deep satisfaction in what we do comes when God blesses us. And we're, and we're aware without being self-conscious. You can be stretched and not stressed. Now, because many people don't understand what happens while time works like this, there have actually been studies done over the last 30 years, hundreds of thousands of people uh, just on this phenomenon because your government tax dollars at work need to go to something, I suppose. Seriously, they've been studying this. You know, you know what they come to call it? Flow. They call it Flow. Do you know people experience it far more in their work than they do in their leisure? The time of week when work is the lowest in American society is Sunday mornings because people are like, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to get up and go worship with the community of believers and worship your God who made you. That begins to create flow. Sitting around does not produce it. I think this is the whole idea of what God meant when he says you're supposed to exercise dominion. In Genesis 1, 26 and 28, God tells mankind, you know, rule over the earth, subdue it. It's the word for dominion. And the word does not mean dominate or boss around. The idea behind the word is that you invest yourselves, meaning your abilities, all the strengths that God has given you to create value upon the earth, to plant, to build, to write, to organize, to heal, invent all of these ways that bring glory to our great God. You bless everything around you, and the earth begins to flourish. All skill is God-given. And we are people who are invited to live in conscious interaction with the Spirit of God as we work. I believe that work is a form of love. And we cannot be who God made us to be without working. Because when you work, you create value. I believe we hunger for the experience of this flow. And when it is present, something happens in our spirits because we connect with Christ, we connect with God's Spirit, and we partner with God in what we're doing. In Psalm 127, verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. 
So you've got people building the house, but God is the one building it through these people. It's a partnership. It's, it's this idea of flow. Flow is part of what we experience in partnership with God's Spirit. And God, in turn, uses that to shape us into who we're supposed to be. I think Bezalel experiences flow when he creates and makes things. David, when he played instruments. Samson, when he uses his strength. Paul, when he writes a brilliant letter. Daniel, when he runs a government. Adam, when he gardened. Jesus, when he carpentered. If you are a boss of other people uh, at a job somewhere, maybe one of the best things you could do is ask where the people are experiencing flow in their work and try to help them experience more of that where they're at. When we are working in this flow and service of God and His kingdom, we're experiencing how the Holy Spirit made us to live. We are working in the Spirit. Discover your strengths. uh, Understand what you receive when you work. And number three, let your work honor God. Let your work honor God. Uh, You may be in in a job right now we don't experience much flow. It's like, here's my French fries. You know, and I don't feel much flow in this unless I take them and eat them. And I feel the flow right, right there because it just kind of goes out. You know, maybe that. Uh, journalist William Zinzer, he had a, his first job was writing for the Buffalo News. Uh, young reporters usually start writing obituaries. And Zinzer hated this. He did not want to write obituaries. He thinks, I could be doing Pulitzer Prize winning investigative reporting. So he goes to his editor and he says, when am I going to get some decent story assignments? His boss says to him, nothing you write will ever be read as carefully as what you're writing right now. If you misspell a word, you mess up a date, a family will be hurt. But if you do just to somebody's grandmother, to somebody's mom, you'll make a life sing and they'll be grateful, for, grateful forever. They will put your words in laminate. And so Zenzer, he says, everything changed after that. He writes this, I pledge I would make the extra calls, I would ask the extra questions, I would go the extra mile. This is like the Sermon on the Mount for people writing obituaries. Write obituaries for others, but you would have them write them unto you, or so, something like that. But obituaries that, that were meant to be laminated, because someday somebody would laminate these obituaries. Zinzer eventually wrote a book called On Writing Well. It's in its 30th anniversary edition. He has sold over a million copies of this book. But he says none of it would have happened if he had not devoted himself to obituaries. If you cannot experience the Spirit in the work you're doing now, you'll have a hard time experiencing God's Spirit at all. Passion for our work is not something that's like lightning waiting to strike. It's a plant that needs to be cultivated. It's a muscle that gets strengthened day by day as we show up, do what's expected of us, and then some. In Colossians 3.23, Paul says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. You see, you're working for Jesus, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. Uh, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. We are serving him. Number four, make work part of your calling. Make work part of your calling. Uh, a priest throughout Scripture is described as someone who represents God to the earth and the earth to God. Uh, it literally means a bridge. And this is the reality of who all God's people were called to be. We were called to be God's priests, as ambassadors to the world. We are to show the world who God is by how we live our lives. We were made in God's image to continue his, this thing in making the earth flourish. And by flourishing, give voice to all of creation and praise to God. All work was designed by God to be a priestly work. It's not just pastors or missionaries who are called by God. We were all created to reflect God's care and dominion for the earth, and we made to express this in worship and gratitude back to who God is. This is what we do when we work. You have a calling. You have been gifted. You are a priest. This, this, is, this is not just something that relates to volunteering at church. Your workplace is the primary place where your calling then gets lived out. If you can't remember that, maybe go buy a totally funky robe and wear it to work. You're like, oh, I'm a priest. No, don't do that because that would be really creepy. Yeah. 
and stuff. There are three ways you can treat your work. Number one, you can treat your work like a job. This is the number one way people in America treat their work. It's, it's like it's a job. You, you view it as a way just to get money. And if your focus is mainly what you get out of it, you'll probably come to resent it. The second way you can view your work is you view it as a career. Now, as a career, your motivation then becomes a little bit higher, but your focus becomes on advancement and prestige. Your feelings about work are based upon how much success it is creating for you. And if it's not creating that much success, you feel like your worth then is on the line. And the third way you can look at work is you look at it as a calling, that God has called you to work. He has gifted you with a job, whatever it is. And when you view work as a calling, that's a life rooted in the life of faith. Because if there is a calling, that means there's someone who's making the call. Someone making the call. And that someone is Christ. That's why you and I, we just don't get to do anything we want. Because we're not the caller. We're the, we're the call-e. And we listen to the call and we work how God calls us to work. Any work that has a meaning, that can be a blessing to the earth, can be a calling. You know, a doctor or even, even a pastor can look at their work as a way to make a living, and then their work just becomes a job. Or you could have like a fry cook or a, or a trash collector, and they can see what they do as you know, making the world a cleaner and safer place, and therefore they have a calling. It's all in how you look at it. In Isaiah 28, 24, and 26, God is talking to a farmer, and, he, and he's telling him how to do his crops and stuff, and it says, God instructs him and teaches him the right way. I believe that God does that for all of his people. He will instruct you and lead you on how you're supposed to do your job the best and the right way. God will meet you in your work. Miroslav Volf writes this. He says, All human work, however complicated or simple, is made possible by the operation of the Spirit of God in the working person. And all work whose nature and results reflect the values of the new creation is accomplished under the instruction and inspiration of the Spirit of God. Number five is my last one. Uh, View your work as a service to God. View your work as a service to God. This is probably the most important one. I used to have a friend uh, who worked for Disneyland. He said that when he was trained at Disneyland, there was one value emphasized above all others at Disneyland, and that is what puts the magic in the magic kingdom is servanthood. They are told that when you are in the kingdom, when people walk through those gates, you are a servant. Your job is to serve them. You treat every encounter with people as if they were your personal guest. If they need directions, you escort them. If they ask you a question and you've heard it a hundred times, you answer it as if you never heard it before. Now, there's a ride at Disneyland called the Jungle Cruise. You mean Jungle Cruise? Yeah. It's all... It's, isn't, it, isn't it right next to the Haunted Mansion? Is that close? Yeah, close. Okay, whatever. This is Jungle Cruise. The most common question people ask the people running the Jungle Cruise is, how long is this ride? So Disneyland's standard answer to this is, the Jungle Cruise is an exciting adventure ride that lasts 10 minutes. They're supposed to repeat that every time, as if it was the first time, smile and all. So one employee, apparently he's having a bad day, he's like that guy on that jet blue flight or something, he's having a really bad day, a couple walks up and they say, how long is this Jungle Cruise? And the guy says, three days. So the couple, they get out of line, they leave the park, they go back to the Disneyland Hotel where they're staying on their honeymoon. They pack up their suitcases, they check out of the hotel, they go back to the line at the Jungle Cruise, and they're waiting for their three-day cruise. Yeah. So the next day, that employee is gone. And what do you think the employee, the, the employee that's working there the next day was saying to people? The Jungle Cruise is an exciting ride that lasts 10 minutes. That's his job. Now open to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, second book, New Testament. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. This is how God calls his people to interact with everyone around us. We, we escort, we love, we serve. Mark 10, 45. Jesus says this about himself. 
He says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What does Jesus come to do? He comes to serve. What puts the magic into the kingdom of God? Serving. That's what it is. His is not a kingdom about status and climbing ladders and getting attention. It's about service. To become the people God calls us to be, we must be a people who work and a people who serve. God's kingdom is one of those kingdoms where if you don't want to serve, you don't really want to be there. You want to be somewhere else. And sometimes God comes and he will interrupt us in our work and not give us a chance to show off all the giftedness we think we have, but simply give us a chance to serve. This is why you must understand your strengths. You must understand what you receive when you work. You must honor God in your work and understand it's a calling. And you see it as a service to God because the day is coming when God will look at his faithful servants and say, well done. Well done. He will say it to faithful employees who give themselves diligently to jobs that never earn any human recognition. He will say it to workers who know they could have climbed higher and further if they had cut corners or manipulated but didn't. He will say it to parents or single parents who cared for kids, bathing them, feeding them, cleaning up after them when they were tired and thought nobody was looking. He'll say it to students who took their coursework seriously and worked as if they were working for God in their coursework because it is all worth it. It is all worth it. Martin Luther once said, What you do in your house is worth as much as if you did it up in heaven for our Lord God. Work, calling, serving. It is how you were made to live. It is who you were made to be. God's people have an innate desire in them that we need to work for something. And if you feel lost, empty, alone, like your life is just going nowhere, it could be that your eyes are too much upon yourself and you need to learn how to work and how to serve. Because that is what God is calling you to. I know, I know many times people in, in their lives when they get very stressful and, and, out of, and, and out of control, the first thing that they give up is service to God. And they focus on all the things that's causing stress in their life. You need to give up other stuff and serve where God calls you to serve because that's important. That's who God calls us to be. His people giving and serving and loving like He gives and serves and loves. This is one of the reasons that we do communion every single week because it's this thing that resets us and reminds us that our great God comes in the form of a servant. He works a blue-collar job the majority of his life. Ministers uh, teaching for three years. Then he, then he dies for our sins, rises from the dead, calls us to be a people. Do you know what God is doing to this day? Scripture tells you, working. It's what God does. And we are called to be a people who live and follow his example. If we want to be the people of God, it means we work. It's just that simple. So as you come to communion and you break that cracker that reminds us of Christ's body that was broken for us, you dip it in that wine of the grape juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. It reminds us that we were redeemed to live as a redeemed humanity, a humanity that actually works and serves and loves just like our great God does. Uh, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you are someone who has a hard time understanding work and service and how, they, and how they work together, or maybe you're overwhelmed with your work and your service together, go pray with them. They would love to pray with you. Uh, if you have any other needs, they'll pray with you. They'll be in the back after service. If you feel weird walking to the hallway, they'll be hanging out up here. You can grab one of them and pray with them afterwards. The band's going to come up. The band's going to do a couple songs. I can always tell when Sean stands up because he's like, As you do these songs, you are invited to take a moment, ask God, you know, where, where, where am I just running around kind of crazy, you know, and where do I need to kind of calm down, and, and where can I give myself in service to you a little bit better? 
Have we worship God through giving? There's offering boxes on the side wall and in the very back. And we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship, so we simply give you that opportunity every week to give. Uh, as, as we work, God gives us the ability to make money, and, it, and it's His. And so we just give something back to Him that's His. Uh, there's, there's cookies and stuff in the back. I don't know if somebody forgot and brought them for the baptism and just left them there, but they're out for you now. So you can have some cookies and there's some coffee. Get to know some other people. Maybe ask some people, you know, what do you do? Hey, do you find some joy in your work? Do you not like it? What would you really like to do? What would make you alive if you had a job doing da-da-da-da? You know? And don't say, I want to be the next American Idol, because, you know, that's just crazy talk. Just crazy talk. Right there. <laughs> we, we are created a people to be uh, like our great God, his ambassadors, his priests, his representatives. So we need to be living that way, working like our great God works, loving like he loves, serving like he serves. Let's be the people of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making us in such a way that we find value in work just like you do. We ask that our hearts would be hearts that begin to change so we understand the hope that you have placed within us to have this ability to work, that you've given us hands and feet and eyes and ears and mouths and, and, a, and a brain so that we can be fully engaged and fully involved in what you put before us. Father, have us be a people who understand it is your mercy and your grace and your love that allows us to be able to work. That work far from being uh, something that's secular. It is deeply spiritual because it is rooted in the person of who you are. And that we would then honor you in our work. That we could be those people who others would see honoring you in our work. That maybe, just maybe, your glory might be made known by how we honor you, by where we spend the majority of our lives at our workplaces. And that the strengths that you have given us can then be lived out in a way that touches people and more importantly, brings you praise and honor as our great God. Thank you for being so good to us to allow us to work. Amen.